اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم وَهَلْ أَتَاكَ نَبَأُ الْخَصْمِ إِذْ تَسَوَّرُوا الْمِحْرَابِ إِذْ دَخَلُوا عَلَى دَاوُودَ فَفَزِعَ مِنْهُمْ قَالُوا لَا تَخَفْ خَصْمَانِ بَغَى بَعْضُنَا عَلَى بَعْضٍ فَاحْكُمْ بَيْنَنَا بِالْحَقِّ وَلَا تُشْطِطْ وَلَا تُشْطِطْ وَاهْدِنَا إِلَى سَوَاءِ الصِّرَاطِ صدق الله العظيم Yesterday we had briefly discussed the incident that took place at the time of Dawud Ali Salatu Wasalam about the two people who had come to ask for some judgment in an issue that occurred between them. One person had 99 sheep, the other had one. This person put pressure, insisted upon the other to part with the one and give it to him in whichever way that might have been, to sell it to him, to give it to him. And this was the case that they brought up, that was this something correct or was this wrong? Dawud Islam passed the judgment after having investigated or heard the case on both sides, that this person who has insisted that that one sheep also be given to him was wrong in this. He had committed zulm. لَقَدْ ظَلَمَكَ بِسُعَالِ نَعْجَتِكَ إِلَى and then the aspect of partnerships was discussed very briefly and the disputes that occur. So we mentioned that we would discuss something about disputes and how to try and avoid these disputes. <coughs> there isn't any, as mentioned yesterday, any straightforward guideline that can be given that if this happens, then this is a solution and this is how it will get rectified. Disputes are of various different natures. Some are extremely complicated, unfortunately. But these are some simple guidelines for ourselves. Somebody else might still do something, Allah forbid, that might get us caught up in something. But if we abide by these guidelines, inshallah, we will not become the reason for a dispute. Somebody else does something that's beyond our control. Before discussing these guidelines themselves, one is to understand what is the approach of Shariat, approach of the Quran and Sunnah in terms of these kind of situations. Quran and Sunnah, the guidance that comes from here is that as far as possible, a person should avoid getting into any dispute. He should do his utmost best not to be caught up, not to cause any dispute and to avoid any dispute that is coming his way. This is something that is very, very clear from the various ayat of the Quran Sharif and the ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The peace and the maintaining of peace is something very highly cherished in deen. In one hadith sharif, Nabi Sallallahu says that لا تدخل الجنة حتى تؤمنوا ولا تؤمنوا حتى تحابوا That you will not enter Jannah until you have Iman. Complete Iman will bring a person directly to Jannah. So the direct entry to Jannah will not happen without perfect Iman. 
and wala tu'minu hatta tahabu. And this perfection of iman is not possible without, together with other things, without mutual love and mutual bond. This is also something that is necessary for the perfection of iman. If this is missing, then this iman is still deficient. And then Nabi Sallallahu says that, should I not tell you how you can bring about this mutual love? Awala adullukum ala shay'in idha fa'altumuhu tahababtum. Then Nabi Sallallahu gives the instruction, afshus salam abaynakum. Make salam common among you. Salam, salam is a greeting of muhabbad. The greeting provided is done sincerely, it will create muhabbad. It will create peace. It will create that attachment and bond. It will clean the hearts. That is why in one hadith sharif, the lesson is given, Al-Badi'u bis-salam, bari'um min al-kibr. That the one who initiates salam, he is the first one to make salam. This will clean his heart out of pride. Outwardly this might seem something difficult to understand, that just with this much initiating salam, and the heart will get cleaned out from pride. But when it is considered in its context, especially of a situation where there is some problem between two persons, and now each one is trying to avoid the other. Now suddenly they have to now cross, they have to suddenly pass one another. Now each one wants to try and avoid the other, and now they have to pass. Who is going to initiate that salam? might sound like a very straightforward thing, but when a person is in that situation, then he realizes that it takes a lot to now even make that salam. But the one who initiates that salam, that whatever it is, Allah Ta'ala must be pleased, that cleans his heart out as well. And in any case, on a general note also, a person who keeps making salam first, so he will, inshallah, this will become a means of creating humility, cleaning the heart out of pride. Person not waiting for others to be making salam to him, that I am somebody, somebody should make salam to me. He is regarding whether the person is elder than him, younger than him, whoever it might be, his colleague, somebody who is his contemporary, uh, meaning his age, or somebody, whoever it might be, he is always initiating salam. This creates this love and muhabbat. So, this is one aspect which highlights the importance of this peace. Because when this peace is disrupted, that muhabbat is disrupted. And Nabi Islam is saying that till this muhabbat is not existing, this iman is not perfect, and this will hinder the direct entry to Jannah. Then, this muhabbat at all the various levels is necessary, but it's obvious where the interaction is greater, this is even more necessary. And the peace at that level is even more important. Because one is somebody is a total stranger to somebody, and they have some, whatever, some situation came up, person has some altercation with some stranger. That's not a good thing at all. But after that altercation, whatever happened, that person will go his way, and he'll go his way, they might not ever see each other again, maybe in their whole life too. So what happened wasn't good, but the negative consequences of that would generally be limited to that situation. And then each one would go his way, and they might not even remember it, they might not even see each other again for life. Allah knows whether they might even have any 
anything to do with it later. But two people who have to constantly interact. Now there's some problem that has occurred and if this muhabbat is interrupted, then this can have very major consequences for not just these two parties, but so many other people around. Like two people in a family, they are not on talking terms. So now it embroils the whole extended family in that situation sometimes. Because some now will end up siding with one party. Some will end up siding with the other party. And sometimes this becomes such a situation where the problem was between just two people first. And two people had committed the serious situation of breaking ties. But as a result of that, maybe a dozen others get caught up in the same thing and start breaking ties because of the people, these two people's situation. So because this becomes so much more important as that circle gets closer, when it comes to family ties, there is so much more emphasis on that. There is so much more emphasis on maintaining the family ties. In the Ahadith, in the Quran Sharif itself, and in the Ahadith, the amount of emphasis that is placed on maintaining family ties is really something astounding. Imam Bukhari, one of his kitabs and books, Al-Adabul Mufrad, which is a compilation of various ahadiths on topics of Targhib, etc. The first chapter in there is the chapter of maintaining relationships and family ties. And there's several, Allah exactly how many, but perhaps more than one and a half, two dozen ahadiths that deal with the subject matter in so much detail. And this is the first chapter that he has brought into that kitab. Because this muhabbat is the foundation for so many other things than to go right. So what is the lesson in all this? That this aspect of this mutual peace, this is something that is highly cherished. Very highly cherished. And this can be understood from the other hadith of Rasulullah that those who make efforts to keep that peace, to bring about that peace. If that peace has been interrupted somewhere, if that peace has been broken somewhere, those who make efforts to bring that peace back, the rewards that have been promised for them. If one ponders over this, then that is sufficient to make one understand that how cherished is this peace and at what cost this should be still maintained. In the hadith, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says that Allah ukhbirukum bi-afdala min darajati salati wa siyami wa sadaqa Should I not inform you? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is asking the sahaba kiram This manner of address is to create this thirst. When a person has thirst, he himself looks for the water. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is asking, should I not tell you about what is greater then all the nafil salah, nafil fast, nafil sadaqah that a person can give. Now, this is clear that there is no limit to how much a person can do this. Nafil salah is whole night and day he can be performing nafil salah. Tahajjud every night, the whole night, and fasting the whole year round, besides the day that is prohibited. And nafil sadaqah, then as much as if everybody gets together and puts whatever they can together, it will run into maybe millions, maybe the whole 
place gets together, can go into billions also. This is better than all that put together. All these three things put together, what can be that amal? Something greater than somebody performing tahajjud the whole night, every night. Somebody fasting all year round. Somebody giving millions, billions in sadaqah. So Nabi Islam then explains that islahu zatil bain, subhanallah. That the person who creates peace between two people, between two persons, two parties, islahu zatil bain, the one who causes what goes about bringing peace. فَإِنَّ فَسَادَ ذَاتِ الْبَيْنِ هِيَ الْحَالِقَةِ Then Nabi Islam says, because this dissension, this is halika, it shaves off. Shaves off a person's good deeds. Because now when there's a situation, a negative situation, then it will create so many other sins. Ghibat will start. Then there will be other kind of plotting and planning. How to do the next person down, what not to do. So this becomes halika. It starts shaving off a person's deeds. So this highlights the importance of this peace. And therefore, Shariat, the Quran and Sunnah, the approach is to avoid these disputes as much as one can, not to get caught up in it. Yes, there are the limits of Shariat that are clearly defined. One is a person, for example, he has been wronged in some way, somebody has usurped his wealth. Now, he's not in the capacity to just Forgo it, it might be his livelihood. So now he's entitled to take up the case to the Qazi. That is what the Qaza is for. This is what the whole system of Qaza and the courts, etc. in Islam are all in place. But that is so that whatever is the claim, then the judgment would come to, to pass a judgment on what is really the justice. Otherwise sometimes a person, he has a valid claim, but is claiming more than what he's entitled to. So he was correct up to a point, then he became the Zalim. So the, then he would take it up in the right manner, in a correct manner, following, following the correct procedures, and then whatever the judgment is, he will take it. But the, the mizaj of Shariat is that as far as possible, a person does not get into any quarrels, disputes, arguments. And if we look into the lives of the Ahlullah, the Akabir, then they understood this, the spirit of this. And this they enacted in their lives. Just to take one or two examples, Hazrat Mufti Shafi author of Ma'arif al-Quran, who is the Grand Mufti of Pakistan of his time, very senior alim and personality. So his son Hazrat Mufti Taqi Usmani Sahib, writes about him, says that I cannot remember the number of times. In other words, this happened over and over and over again. Many a times this is a thought that now I'm being taken advantage of. I can't let this carry on endlessly. He says, I cannot remember the number of times that this has happened over and over and over again. That my father just let go whatever was his right and didn't try to get into any, or didn't get into any dispute or quarrel to try and save his rights. And he says, I, I don't have count of this. Then he gave one example that once he had been building, constructing the family home while they were still living in Deoban. So now, 
he had a plot of land which was vacant for a while and now he decided that he had saved up something to build a house on that plot. So he started constructing the house, so now probably they started digging up the foundations or something. So now when this work started, the neighbors, they came to say that, look, this portion of this land belongs to us. Now he's got all the title deeds, whatever the municipal records, everything is showing that these are the boundaries of the land. These are the pegs or whatever it is and this is the extent of the land. So everything is on record, on paper, that this belongs to him. Now they suddenly came and laid claim to one portion of that land. On what basis? Our drainage. Now there wasn't any formal drainage systems and so on. It was all open on surface drainage. So because of their convenience, they had made that drainage whenever they built their house, run through this property, this piece of land. Now obviously now this house is getting constructed here, they are going to have to redirect that in some other direction. So they decided the shortcut is we just lay claim to this land. So that became their evidence. Let's see our drainage is running through here. Now is that any proof? Somebody's drainage is running through on land that became his evidence. So when they, so he brought those records and showed them that look, this is what the records are clear that I own this piece of land. They said no, no, we are not interested in all that. This is ours. He said, very well, that is yours. Now, that is yours. He replanned the house. It had to be now cut down in size because this portion of the land now had to be left out. He was ready to make that squeeze that house, make it smaller rather than get into that dispute. So, in any case, he replanned that house and made it smaller and they carried on. Life carried on for a while. After some time, these neighbors came to say that if you want, we are ready to sell off this piece of land to you. He said, very well. He bought off that land. Whose land? His own land. He paid for it. Why? In order to save himself from getting caught up in that quarrel and dispute. Now this was a mindset. This mindset was from this spirit of the Shariat. And Mufti Taqi Sahib explains that many a times when he would be told something that, you know what, this is your right. He says, but do you also know that in lieu of this right, what I bought? If a person, for example, he owns something, he's owning maybe one, whatever it is, some item now. And somebody says that, look, I'm going to take this item away. But in lieu of this, I'm going to give you that car. Now that item is worth 1,000 rands and is giving a car worth 500,000 rands. The person says, no, this is my right. So anybody else who overhears this, that he is fighting for this right of his now. And he is foregoing that 500,000 rand car. So he says, this bichara, he doesn't know what's going on in life. The person is taking that away, but he's giving him something worth 500,000 rands. He must be a real fool to now let this go. So, that, with that concept in mind, he says that you don't know what I bought in return. In the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Sallallahu is reported to have said that أَنَزَّعِيمٌ بِبَيْتٍ فِي رَبَدِ الْجَنَّةِ لِمَنْ تَرَكَ الْمِرَاءَ وَهُوَ مُحِقٌ Another 
riwayat the wording is that banallahu lahu baitan fi wasatil jannah that the person who gives up a dispute despite being the party on the rights despite being the entitled person it's his entitlement but in order to just give up the dispute he doesn't want to be caught in a dispute so in order to save himself from the dispute he said let it go what he gets in return Allah Ta'ala will build for him a palace in the middle of Jannat, meaning in the prime spot of Jannat. He says, I didn't lose anything. If this went, I got something bigger in return. So why are you preventing me from buying a palace in Jannat? Now that was his outlook. He says, repeatedly this was, would be the case. If there's a dispute, he let it go. Those whose gaze is on the Akhirat, there's two separate issues here, as mentioned earlier. One is, what is a person's haq? What is his right? Something belongs to him. Shariat hasn't forbidden him from claiming it. That is his right, he's entitled, fully entitled to claim it. There have been instances in the time of the Sahaba Ikram as well. Somebody, something, somebody else, probably, whether unwittingly or whatever, he thought it was his, so he took it away. The rightful owner came and claimed it. And according to the evidence, Nabi Islam passed judgment. So this is something very clear. One should not misunderstand that a person is obligated, is compelled to forego his right. That's not the case. That is in its place. But together with having explained the rights that a person is entitled to, this is the mizaj of shariat. So now one is something that is a really major situation, a person cannot overlook that because his circumstances are such, he is well within his rights to claim it, he is well within his rights to claim any amount of it. Even if it might be something small, it is right, he is entitled to claim it, that is very clear. But where it is possible for him to let it go in order to just maintain the peace, then this is Shariat's teaching that to avoid the dispute. As far as possible to avoid the dispute, let this go now and take what Allah Ta'ala is offering in Jannah. And yes, in dunya it's very difficult for a person to sometimes fathom the reality of this. But when the eyes open out in Akhirat, then a person would think that I had, if I had foregone or everything else also would have been better. So this was his outlook. Likewise, this is something common among all the Akabir, but these are just one or two examples. Hazrat Mawa Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi Rahmatullah very great alim and scholar of the recent times, passed away around, just around 2000, 2000. So, towards the tail end of his life, he gathered his entire family. And he said to them that, look, I have a very important discussion, very important advices to give you. He said to them that, look, Alhamdulillah, I studied, his, studied history in depth. He was a historian of a very high caliber. Islamic history, he had studied and he had written books which are masterpieces on the topic. So in any case, he said, look, Allah I studied this history in depth. And I have seen all the means that I have read to the rise and fall of families. Families meaning those families that were very notable. Families that had a very high standing. 
who were at the forefront of many good things and who were the families of very great personalities. So, what brought them to their height and peak, that too is in front of me in the light of all this history. And as time passed, what led to the downfall of these great families and made them lose the legacy of their seniors, those great personalities who were their elders. And after those personalities left, and in a sometimes matter of a few decades, suddenly everything was like these families never existed. Nobody ever heard of them, as if it was like that. What became the reason for this downfall? He said, look, in the light of this entire detailed study, I'm telling you three things now. In the light of this entire detailed study, I'm telling you three things. If you hold on to these three things very well, then you will prosper as a family. Prosper in dunya also. And more important than that, you will prosper in the line of deen. That this is the real prosperity, that you are productive in the line of deen. Then he gave three points, which each one is a topic on its own. But just to mention the three points now, the first thing he mentioned to them, first point, that rather be the mazloom, never, uh, never ever become the zalim. Now he's talking in the light of in-depth study of history of all the previous nations also, and all the great families that have passed in this, the past thousand years or whatever, and the rise and fall of all these people, and he's saying step one. And this is actually the spirit of what is in the Quran and Sunnah. So whatever it is, you rather be the mazloom, rather be the oppressed, but never ever become the oppressor. Then the second point he mentioned, the second lesson, that refrain totally from haram wealth. And then he would say, let alone haram, don't even ever touch a cent the way it was there, sent is for our understanding, don't even touch a cent of doubtful wealth. What is clear-cut haram is obvious. Don't even take anything doubtful. And then, the third lesson, which is more directly linked to the topic that we are discussing, because this is the aspect of the maintaining of that peace, and maintaining of that muhabbat. He said that, Always be good to your relatives regardless of their treatment to you. And this is the spirit of the Hadith Sharif, the spirit of the Sunnah is discussed. And this was his own personal way of taking and handling things. The, it's recorded about him that there would be many, many times that somebody or the other, some family member, some distant family member, somebody in the extended family, or somebody maybe elder than him to sometimes, whatever the case is, they would come, now, this is how life brings about all kinds of situations, all kinds of challenges sometimes. Somebody gets upset over something, somebody misunderstands something. There would be many occasions, or there were many occasions, that somebody came and they spoke very abruptly to him, spoke harshly to him. And whenever somebody would speak in a harsh manner to him, somebody would come speak abruptly to him, especially any family person, he would... By the time that conversation is over, he would give that person some mitai. He would get it from somewhere and give that person some mitai. It became like a kind of, like a joking thing among the extended family, that if any time you're feeling like eating some mitai and you feel like having some sweetmeats, 
and you can't get it easily, you should go and talk harshly to Mawlana. You go talk harshly to him, you will leave with some mitai from there. Once one person came and he was very abrupt and very rude and very harsh. And he went on. So the Mawlana found some mitai to give him, but then brought a set of clothing as well. And gave him both and sent him off with it. Now this, in the light of that entire study of history, he summed up that nasi, this was the wasiyat you can call it. So he gathered his entire family to give them this nasihat, to give them this wasiyat and these three points he mentioned. And each one is a complete volume on its own, subject on its own. The first was, whatever it is, rather be the mazloom, never become the zalim, but never become the oppressor. Allah Ta'ala's help is with the mazloom and the zalim, he invites the curse of Allah Ta'ala upon himself. So never become the zalim. Second thing, don't ever touch haram wealth. Don't even touch doubtful wealth. And the third aspect was, that regardless of how your family people treat you, how your relatives treat you, you always be good to them. Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq. Inshallah we'll continue. Subhanallah.